C.S. Lewis said that friendship is born when one person looks at another and says, wait, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Uh, oftentimes we think that we are alone or that we have nothing in common with other people. I don't know about you, but we're gathered here today because we have one thing in common, and that is we believe that there is a God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants to meet every need we have in life. And the goal today is to remind you of that. My goal today, if nothing else I do, is to make sure you know that God is good, He is faithful, and He loves you so much. And I pray that as you walk out of this room, that you are challenged to make sure other people know how much God loves you, how faithful and how good He is. And so we're going to do something today in wrapping up a series called Psalm 23. Uh, we have been taking a look over the last five weeks. Today is the sixth week, and we're going to wrap it up today on both campuses. We're gl- grateful that you're here joining us in Wills Point. There's multitude of people joining us online, as well as those that are joining us on the Edgewood campus. And so everybody in Wills Point, here's what we're going to do on three. We're going to give a shout out to Edgewood. We're going to say, hello, Edgewood, on three. One, two, three. Hello, Edgewood. So uh, we're grateful that they're there. We are hopefully just a couple of months away from being able to be in a building over there, but we continue to say whatever the Lord desires. It is all about His sovereign timing, and, uh, but we are excited for them. Encourage you to, to uh, obviously see it as you're driving by on Highway 80 or check it out. Feel free to act like you own the place because many of us have paid for it. And so uh, just act like you're the, the lead dog and go in and see it. Um, if you don't mind, let's pray. And then we're going to dive into Psalm 23. Uh, before we pray, I want to just tell you, two weeks from today, we start a new series called Strengthening Your Family Tree. It's going to be coupled with lots of resources throughout the month of November. You do not want to miss it. I promise. It's a pastor promise. It will be worth your time. And it will be worth your kids' time and your grandkids' time for you to be here. So let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this morning. We pray that you would encourage our hearts and remind us of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23, it just begins and says, my, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about what it looks like for goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life and why we should be excited to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But in order for you to understand what David is writing and kind of what he means, you have to understand a little bit of the context of the first five verses. And so I'm just going to assume that you're here as the first time guest, or maybe it's the first time that you've joined us recently in, the, uh, in all the time that we've been here, and you're catching verse six of this thing. Well, if you're catching verse six, then you need to have an idea of the first five. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to walk you through what David is probably meaning 
because he was a shepherd. Uh, he was a king of Israel. Before then, he was the sh- a shepherd and was faithful, faithfully tended to his flock. And he writes from the perspective of being a sheep man uh, and helping us understand who God is. But if you can see this from the lens of a shepherd, a sheep man, it kind of helps you a little bit better understand the God that loves us and cares for us. And so when you think about verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, he, uh, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What you need to think of is a, a shepherd who tends to his flock in the, in the spring. And he does it faithfully and dutifully. And he makes sure that his flock never has a want. The grass is desirable, it's green, it's lush. He's got plenty of forage for all of his flock. And what he does is he faithfully moves them to places where they are never lacking anything. And so he moves them from pasture to pasture to pasture. And here's why. Because if you know anything about sheep, they'll eat everything there is until it's only dirt. And they don't have the wisdom to realize that I probably shouldn't eat all of this. Because what they do is they, in a sense, um, just will continue to feed themselves and they gorge themselves until there is nothing left. And so without a faithful shepherd leading them to places, they would lack everything they need. And so he is a faithful shepherd. But what happens oftentimes is even though he moves them from flock to or the flock from place to place, is by the end of the spring, oftentimes there there will be a a, a little bit of grass lacking, and so what will happen is is he in a sense will. Uh, make sure that they have all they need. And so he restores them. He restores them, makes sure that he leads them in paths that are a delight. And so as he does that, he knows that there's another place, oftentimes found up the ridge and oftentimes on the, the tabletop of a mountaintop, which is what you would kind of see in verse five. He prepares a, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That up there, there is more food. But here's the thing. To get from the spring grasses to the summer ones, oftentimes you're going to have to go through some some valleys, some dark places. That's kind of verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In order to get to the mountaintop, it's not uncommon that we have to go through some difficult things to get to what our shepherd has for us up there. And so what a shepherd does is he leads them through ravines and dark valleys and places. And it is there that oftentimes the flock knows they need their shepherd more than when they are in the spring fields. Because in the spring fields, they have everything they need. They seem to wander a little bit further away from the shepherd. But in the dark place, guess what? They're all huddled up next to him. And they are just literally trying to work through those dark places together. And they lead themselves up to the tabletop, the mesa in a sense, uh, the place where they have, again, their field, the place the shepherd has already combed out. He's prepared for them. And in the summer months, they'll dine on that. They'll enjoy that. But then their, their desire is to get back to the home place, to get back to the ranch where the fences are already there and they've got great forage and the grass has grown thick and lush again. And in the winter months, they're going to move back down and they're going to come back and they're going to dwell in the shepherd's ranch, hopefully forever. And the shepherd knows they'll have to do this again. But their desire is to be at home. See, what a good uh, sheep realizes when they have a good shepherd is that there's no better place than just to be at home. You ever experience like, I just want to be at home. And there's, in a sense, a peace and a protection and security. And for a lot of us, we have a place like that. For a lot of us in this room, it's not our home. 
And I pray that we would know that it, it doesn't have to be our home, but it does have to be somewhere where the Lord is faithful to us and we know that we are at rest with Him. And that's what this text means, is that we are at total rest and we are faithfully, dutifully satisfied in the one who loves us and meets our needs. And goodness and mercy follow us. It reflects what we believe about our good shepherd. And that's really the point of this text, is what do people see in you? Do, do you imitate the fact that you have a good shepherd? And oftentimes it's very difficult to answer that question. When you start thinking about, am I dwelling with the Lord? Do I have a, an eternal home? Yes. Okay. You might ask yourself this question. The question is, do you really believe that? And do you really imitate that? And it's very difficult for us to answer those questions because oftentimes we try to answer those in the wrong ways. But let me explain to you real quickly how you can know if the goodness and the mercy of the Lord are following you all the days of your life. And it's very simple. It's not profound, but it is very difficult to live. Very simple, not profound, but very difficult. And here's how. It's, it's what you do in the difficult times. It's what you do in the valley of the shadow of death. Um, I'll tell you that a lot of us in here, we may be joyful and we may be excited and we may be vibrant and we may, in a sense, radiate lots of different things when, when life is good. And so it's not uncommon for us to be joyful and happy and jubilant in all these different areas where, where life's fine. I mean, you've got a nice house, you got beautiful uh, kids. You got a, a, a beautiful wife. You got very little challenges in your marriage. You don't have a whole lot of hardships. You got plenty of money in the bank. Uh, your kids are doing well. Um, they were wearing little things on their face that show that they were A honor roll students or AB honor roll students, and that's not a challenge. They're good in, in sports, and so they, they play all the games. They rarely sit the bench, and people look at you, and, and they go, wow, I want what you have. And you go, yes, and God is so good. God just has given us all this. And we look at life and we just realize that relationships aren't di difficult at this point. We have no real enemies. It's not like people are trashing us. And in some ways, we just, we just have a, a nice life. But the, the question is, is what happens when one or two or three or all of those things begin to fade away? What happens when you find yourself in a place of darkness? What happens when you find yourself with a diagnosis? One that you aren't actually going to overcome. Are you still exuding goodness and mercy? What happens when one of your kids ends up sick and it leads to their death? Or what happens when just one day, fatally, your kid is, is killed in a car accident? Is God still good? Is He still merciful? Do you still delight in Him? Do you still show the joy of the Lord in Him? What happens when your bank account is, is depleted? What happens when you lose your job and your home and your cars? What happens when your kids are diagnosed with a dyslexia? And guess what? They don't make A's or B's because they're struggling to make a C. What happens then? Are you still exuding the goodness and the mercy of God? Because that's the point of the text. The point of the text is that you know that regardless of where you are, that God is faithful and good. And can I just tell you, like, I think one of the challenges in this kind of American church culture is that we want God to be good, but we want him to be good on our terms. 
For instance, it's not uncommon that you'll be reading along social media. I'm a Facebook and and really a Twitter guy. And so uh, I'll be reading and somebody will say, hey, be praying for me. Um, Just had a biopsy done and I'm waiting to find the results. Three days later, they'll post on there. I got the results back. It's benign. God is so good. In all caps, exclamation points, God is good. What I rarely see, if ever, is I got my results back. It doesn't look good, but God is so good. See, we think that God is good because he delights to give us what we want. See, God is good regardless if we get what we want. God is good because by nature, his word says that he is good. By his character, he is perfect. He's never made a mistake. He's never lied to you. He's never cheated on you. He's never done anything than love you. Now listen, I'll tell you that oftentimes the love of God doesn't manifest itself in the way we would like it to be shown. But nonetheless, his word promises us that he loves us. And listen... Some of us are like the sheep that David's talking about. We have to go through the school of hard knocks in order to know that God is good and that he's faithful and that he loves us. But as you start thinking about all of these questions, you start thinking about, does God's goodness exude in my life? Do I proclaim that even in the difficult times? I think you've got to ask yourself a handful of questions. And one of the questions that you ask yourself is, does my life leave a trail of goodness? You know what a shepherd does? He leads them on trails to new places. So when you look back over the trail of your life, if you've seen God move you in different seasons, what do you see? If you remember the the story of Hansel and Gretel, they left breadcrumbs along. If you look back over your life, the breadcrumbs of your faith, what do you see? Do you see goodness and mercy? Do you see yourself delighting in the goodness and the mercy of God? Or do you look back and you go, I don't really know what I see. That's the question here. Matter of fact, in 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, By this... We know love, that he, meaning Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The idea is that Jesus bought us with a price. He marked us because he's the shepherd. He called us a part of his flock. And now he goes, now I want the flock to go do what the flock does. And here's what you need to know is Jesus didn't save us. That's a fancy church word for salvation or a new life in Christ. He didn't save us to let you sit in your seat. He saved us to sanctify us, a fancy church word for grow us, mature us from milk to meat. Saved us to send us. That we would be the radiate radiation, the light of God, that we would illuminate him in all that we do. That's why God reached down, pulled you out of a pit, a miry clay, the grave that you were dead in, and gave you a new life in Christ. It's so that you would go and be. I think we think churches come and see. Matter of fact, you might even invite people to that. Hey, hey, come and, come and, come and hang out with me at my church. No, like go and be the church radiate the glory of God. 
dropped morsels of your faith along, breadcrumbs of your faith, that people would see the trail of your life and they'd go, I want what he has. Even in his difficult times, even in this rough patch in his marriage, he just stays faithful. Even in this difficult time of his finances, he stays faithful. Surely goodness and mercy follow him all the days of his life. It reminds me of Psalm 107, 8 and 9. It says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. If you look at your life, all good things come from the Lord, and he desires to give you good things. He desires that you know him, and that you love him, and you're at peace with him. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Now think about that. If it's abounding in hope, what does that look like for the God of mercy, the God of goodness to live in your life in such a way that you abound with hope? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of verse 5. That he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. Like, think about that. What overflows out of your life? And so here's a handful of questions for you to consider. Just some things that I've been pondering on. One is, what do people think about me? Like, just when you, when you bring up my name, what kind of feeling does that evoke? Think about that. Uh, when, when I think about the trail of my life, do I, do I leave a trail of sadness behind or have I left a trail of gladness? Uh, do I leave a trail of gloom or do I leave a trail of joy? When people just think about you and, and me, do we seem to be the, the people who are so negative and pessimistic or do we seem to be the ones that are courageous and optimistic? Because I struggle to see how you and I could proclaim that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life and we continually be the most pessimistic person in life. I mean, think about it. And it ranges from everything, from, from finances to buildings to decisions in the church. You know, when you think about churches and pastors, I've met some of the most uh, goal-oriented, driven pastors who have presented things to their church and their church goes, there's no way we can do that. How? Surely goodness and mercy me follow me all the days of my life. Like if it's the Lord's plans, then the question is, is who's going to thwart it? Think about that for just a second. Like why would we not be all that God wants us to be in that? When you think about your life, do you leave a deposit behind or are you continually robbing from the bank of others? When you think about your life, uh, do you see... Do you see your life being one that's in turmoil or do you see it being one that's in peace? Are you a peacemaker or are you a peace faker? Or maybe some of you are peace breakers. What you continually do is enter into things and you break the peace. Or some of you just you fake it. You pretend you're okay. Or are you a peacemaker? Are you the person that delights in the Lord? Do you offer forgiveness or do you dwell in bitterness? When you think about your life, are you content or are you continually pursuing things and creating more conflict? Do you leave, in a sense, flowers, fragrance of joy or frustration? Like, think about these things because. You and I are real people with real skin, with real bones, with real emotions, and people really do think something of us. And the question is, is what do others think of you? 
And here's the bigger question. Do you really want to know? Are you at the place in your relationship with the God of heaven and earth that you're so secure in him that you could actually look to other people that you trust and that know you well and that you would say, I want you to shoot me straight. Tell me if there's something you see in me that does not exude, radiate, or bear the goodness of God. Listen, that is what real journey groups are. It's not this fake peacemaker, uh, peace faker business. What it is, is you getting in a company of people, the flock of God, and saying, I want you to shoot me straight. It's not church lingo. It's not trying to pre- present things that you think everybody else wants to hear. It's actually coming in and it's telling people the genuine truth. Our group sucks. And it sucks because a lot of you aren't devoted to the things of God and I want to be. And it's having that conversation. It's, it's quit saying things that aren't ultimately the, what the Lord wants. It, it's even saying, hey, can I just be honest with you? I'm one of the things that contributes to our group being so bad. It's because I keep showing up unprepared. I keep showing up and I'm not ready to do the Lord's business. And so would you forgive me? And then get on your knees before the group. Actually do something bold and courageous that would bring the character and the goodness of God to your group and say, I'm going to set a new precedence of here's forgiveness. Would you forgive me? Because I've not been about the business that I committed to being about. That's goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy isn't showing up on a Sunday, sitting in a seat, listening to some guy tell you what you want to hear, singing a few songs, patting each other on the back, and going to do. Goodness and mercy is God's business, even when it's difficult. But I'll tell you this. I genuinely want to know if I'm not God's man. Because the greatest desire in my life is to be God's man. Matter of fact, um, recently had somebody tell me why they didn't like Stone Point. Recently had somebody write a name uh, or something, a note on a communication card. <clears throat> Suggestions is what we call them. Y'all ever know what those are? Right? The challenge is, is that when somebody tells you that, they'll oftentimes say, hey, I can't tell you the name of the person. Or oftentimes uh, they'll, they'll write something in anonymity and they won't tell you who it is. And listen, you might think, oh, he's going to go on a rant here. No, listen, here's the sadness in all that. Is that I know that I need suggestions, but I also need to know who to talk to about the suggestions. See, the thing that what breaks my heart most about this name, this idea of Stone Point, the reason that I am so broken over it is not because the person didn't have something that was true. It's that I can't reconcile to them on behalf of what they believe to be true. That I can't go and plead for the mercy and the goodness of God in their lives in this season and say, I'm sorry that I missed it. I'm sorry that we weren't what God wanted us to be. That's the church. Would you forgive me for being anything less than the gospel to you? And that's what weighs on my heart in this season. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the church I signed up for. And that's the church I pray that you and I are signing up for. Listen, if it's anything less than that, I encourage you, I implore you, please go down the road. 
And it's not because I don't want to love you. And you might even take that comment. And you're like, oh, wow, what, what? No, what I'm trying to help you understand is that's what God's people have to be or they're getting less than the God we know and serve. See, God wants to shake up his people. And so here's what we should make our lives about, going about and doing good. And I pray that the day that you bury me, I pray that the day that a handful of people, I pray it's a handful of people show up. I pray that they would just simply say these words. He made his life about doing good. That wherever he went, he did good. It's enough. And then point them to the God who did some good in me. Because can I just tell you that apart from my Lord, my Savior, the one who redeems me, sanctify, and is sending me, there is nothing good about me. Matter of fact, I find myself at the end of the first service if you, having to apologize for some of the stupid things I say. I'm continually having to do that. I live in conflict with people because I'm an idiot. But you know the goodness and the mercy of God reside in you when you go to your brother and you fix it. And you go, hey, I missed it. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Would you help live with me in a relationship? I know I let you down, but I know a faithful Savior who never lets us down. And then point them to Jesus. Why? Because the longer the eyes are on me, the longer that we're going to have problems. But I pray that nonetheless, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when you think about dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you think about the eternal aspect of God, and you should, because that's our heavenly home. And I think our mind typically goes there. But here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think about the continual purpose of this entire text. That you start out in green pasture, still water, that he restores your soul, that when you're flipped over on your back, that a faithful shepherd comes along and he puts you back on his feet that he walks with you, that he, he in a sense, helps you uh, in different seasons and places. You lack nothing. But then, then he walks with you through the valley. He gets you up to the mountaintop, which you enjoy in the summer months. And then at the end of the summer months, it's like, I want to go back home. I just want to be home. That's what the text means, that you and I would be at home with the Lord. In essence, there is no better place in our life to be than right where the Lord wants us. To be home with the Lord. And the only way you're at home with the Lord is to realize how good and how faithful the shepherd he is. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. There are a multitude of types of shepherds out there. Um, maybe it's not a sheep man. Maybe you call him a cattleman. Um, have you ever looked upon a pasture and you just see weak, feeble-looking animals. I mean, they're uncared for, they're mangy, they're, they're, they're dirty, they're, they're nasty. They look as if they are, in a sense, sitting on some property for one reason, that is to give some sort of a financial break, a tax break. But outside of that, there is no general care. Outside of receiving some benefit back from the animals, there's no love towards the animals. There's no feeding plan. There's no regiment to care for them, to train for them. There is, no, um, there is no fly spray to keep away the parasites. There are no shots to help make sure that they don't get black leg or just fall over and die. Matter of fact, if we're honest, the shepherd could care less if they die. He cares less if their wool is so thick that they're entangled in things that they shouldn't be. 
that's the type of people that live in our world today. There are a multitude of people that they should be looking over the fence into the church and they should say, I want what that church has. They seem to have the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. I want to dwell in that house with them. So think of yourself on a pasture a forage of six or seven hundred acres, the nice windmill and the farm home and the white fence all around it. And then look just beyond that fence to the sheep who look so poor and so lousy and so unmanaged that they long to be in the pasture where every other sheep is. That is the dying world. And they have a shepherd who cares nothing for their souls, who wants them to die, who cares less when they do, and wants to lie and deceive them, hoping that they'll never go to the place where they could find delight and joy and satisfaction in a true shepherd who will never let them down, who will never lie to them, and always continually cares for their needs. Their shepherd has a name, and his name is called Satan. Great, great quote from a guy named Philip Keller says this, this about that. He goes, likewise, with those apart from Christ, the old world is a pretty wretched ranch. Fences are broken down, dry dirt, nothing good. He didn't put that. This is what I see. And Satan is a heartless owner. He cares not a whit for men's souls or welfare. Under his tyranny, there are hundreds of hungry, discontented hearts who long to enter into the household of God, who ache for his care and concern. Guys, when we go to work tomorrow, you should make your Monday matter. And listen, your Monday doesn't matter because you push some papers. Your Monday matters because there are some restless souls who long to have the freedom that you and I claim to have. There are people that we rub shoulders with every single day. That The reason they're in that place is because they've never understood hope or mercy or joy or goodness. And they certainly don't believe that there's a God who's good. And one of the reasons they don't believe God is good is because the people of earth who claim to know the God of heaven show nothing good about the God of heaven. I had a friend named Todd Wagner who he said uh, in his book, Come and See, he just says, one of the reasons that people don't believe God's doing anything on earth is because, or God's doing anything in heaven is because his people aren't doing anything on earth. So think about that. But that's what it means. Surely and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. We go about doing good. We reconcile hard conversations. We're not perfect, but we point people to the perfect Savior. And we desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We desire to be at home with the Lord, to walk with Him daily, to devote to Him with His people, to abide with Him, knowing that He is our, our vine, that we are the branches, that if we remain in Him and Him in us, that we will bear much fruit. You know what bearing much fruit for? It's a synonymous term with goodness and mercy following us the days of our life. When we are His people, People see it. I don't know about you, but that's what attracts me to God's church. And that's what I think God's church should make themselves more about the business of. Why? Because that's when people could know that they could actually be home with the Lord and dwell with Him forever. See, this isn't just talking about, oh, heaven and all of its bliss, and I can't wait to get there. It's talking about what it looks like to delight in the goodness of God now, that he is our good shepherd, and that because we know him, we can invite other people to come in through the sheep gate. So think about it. 
on that big, luscious ranch, other sheep looking in. What if there was just a gate that some of the sheep could walk through and they could come to be a part of the flock? Would you want that gate open? Absolutely. But here's what you need to know. Do you know on a real sheep ranch, when that happens, what sheep will do, if they're tended to their own care, they'll come in and they'll start eating all the green pasture. And the way that their stomach is lined, all the room that's built up, they will actually kill themselves within a matter of hours because they'll gorge on all the things they've never had. And so you know what a good sheep man does? He takes them, he brings them in, he cares for them in the home, at the barn puts them on a plan, grows them up, starts with something like feeding plan, maybe you call it milk, and then grows them up to something solid. This is a, called a process of sanctification. You grow them up into maturity, and then you say, now go and be the flock. That's what the church does. We bring people in, we tell them about the goodness and the mercy of God, we allow them to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We put them on a plan. It's called discipleship. We grow them up and we send them out. And we should do this over and over and over and over again until the whole world knows that Jesus is supreme. I don't know about you, but that's the church I signed up for. And it's the church I'm going to die for. And it's a beautiful bride. And it's worthy of all that we have. And I pray that we would keep the bride beautiful and the only way to keep the bride beautiful is for us to be the people of God that he's calling us to be. Here in a second, we're going to sing on both campuses. And, and, and here's the thing. We're talking about goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life. And we're talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And I don't know about you, but it evokes something in me. It's kind of in my emotion. And I'm like, hey, I want a chance to just kind of sing to God. I want a chance to just, like, just go, Lord, you're good. You're faithful. Um, and so I challenged uh, both campuses earlier this morning, and I'm going to challenge you the same way. Uh, I'm going to challenge you that in the next few moments that you have an opportunity afforded to you to, to sing about the goodness of God. Um, I think Mark and, and Carolyn on both campuses have done a really good job of making sure that what we're about to sing about is in great relation to the text that we've read. But here's the deal. If we are goods. God's people, and we're going to show goodness and mercy wherever we go. Listen, can I just tell you, it starts here. And what uh, James gives us a caution about in James chapter 3, I think verse 8 and 9, he goes, hey, you just need to be cautious about praising God now and then going out tomorrow and cursing him. So if we're going to praise him now, I encourage you to praise him. And listen, can I just tell you that I grew up in a culture, um, I grew up in a culture in which I felt like that praising God meant that I had to do it in a certain way, which typically meant that I had to have my hands down and my arms had to be stiff and I couldn't move too much. I certainly couldn't sway. And if I raised my hand, it better be one and it better not be too high, right? And some of you, you grew up with that. And some of you, I'm going to go ahead and just say it. You're foolish enough to believe that that's the right way. What I see in my text is that God wants a heart that's postured towards him. And if that heart leads to a physical place in which your hands are raised or you find yourself on your knees, then you feel the freedom here to do that. Matter of fact, I pray and encourage many of you to do that today. What I don't see the flexibility in Scripture is for you to make worship a mockery, that you would make it in any way about yourself. 
that you wouldn't, in a sense, go around and, and making somebody else see you as the spectacle of our worship. Matter of fact, you are not the one we worship, and that's why we don't worry about too much other than how we worship the Lord. But in a few moments, I think we have an opportunity afforded to us to sing to a good God and begin the practice of goodness and mercy. And, and one of the ways we do that best is when we surrender to Him. And can I just show you the classic sign? This, this symbol, it means the same thing um, to Terrell PD as it does to Wills Point PD. Um, it, it means the same thing to Edgewood PD. It also means the same thing all across cultures. Uh, if you're on battle lines, whether you're in Afghanistan, or if you're in Australia, or you're in America, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in southern Mexico, or if you're in Argentina, uh, if you're in Africa, it doesn't matter. If you do this, it means I surrender. I don't know about you, but I think the church should surrender far more than we do to the Lord, who we claim to be good and merciful. And so I don't know what culture you've been raised in, or I don't know what, what you think worship looks like. What I do say is this, let's not make it about us, but let's make it about the one who loves us and who's died for us. And listen, if you have wondered, hey, do we have to have freedom here to like raise my hands? Or, Absolutely. Hey, do I have the, do I have the freedom here just to, to bow in silence and sit in prayer? Absolutely. Do I have the freedom here to go reconcile with a brother right now in this moment and whom I have a wrong against? Absolutely. You should do that now. Matter of fact, you shouldn't worship God at all until you go reconcile with your brother. Go make right. Go drop a morsel of goodness and say, hey, listen, I've I, I got to come to you because I've wronged you. I've talked about you maliciously. I've said some hateful things about you. I didn't give you a chance to reconcile. So will you please forgive me? I love you. I care for you. And I want to make things right. That's the church. And if we'll be about that business today, the Lord will be pleased. And guess what? The church will flourish. And I pray the church would flourish as a result of our obedience. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would take the breadcrumbs that I've dropped this morning and that you would use them. Statistics tell us that out of all of us in here, because we're sheep, we're only going to remember 5% of what we've heard. And so, Lord, I don't know what it is that you want us to hear, but I pray that everyone in this room would hear one thing today, that they would write down, they would add it to the tablet of their heart, and they would go to your word, and they would begin to meditate on this week. And maybe it's about the life they live, about goodness and mercy. Maybe it's about dwelling at home with the Lord. Maybe it's about being your person, even in difficult times and darkness. Lord, I don't know what it is. I just know you're faithful to your word. So would you use it? And would you remind us that you are the good shepherd? You tell us that in John chapter 10. You remind us that you are, uh, you are the one that we should love. You are a faithful shepherd. You lay your life down for our, the sheep. Uh, you're not like a hired hand. You're, you're not the one who, who sees the sheep and, and then flees and a wolf comes and snatches them because you're the one who created us. You're not just one of the workers on the ranch. You are the shepherd. You are the one who knows us and our name. You marked us. You bought us the price. You call us. You've laid your life down for us. And we are a part of your, flo your flock and your fold. And we thank you that we hear your voice and we can follow you. So God, would you show us how to live for you in contentment and in joy, whether it be in the valley or on the mountaintop. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.